Well, good morning. My name is Eric Ashley. I'm honored and grateful to be pastor at Grace Community, where our mission is to create a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace. So welcome to worship this morning. We're glad you're here. I'm glad to be in worship with you. And I uh, want to invite you to fill out your Connect cards. We'll be collecting those in just a few minutes uh, when the offering basket comes around. You can record your attendance. You can offer prayer requests. You can request information about different things that are going on as well. So today, uh, as we enter this Thanksgiving week, we're going to be talking about gratitude. And uh, I have this friend who is a, was an addict and an alcoholic. And uh, early in her sobriety, her friend, her sponsor... Uh, told her that uh, she should um, record some remembrances of gratitude, have the practice of remembering gratitude. And uh, she's like, well, you know, what do I have to be grateful for? I, I'm just barely sober. I sleep on my friend's couch. I have this really lousy job. And my kids have been taken away from me and they're living with their dad. What do I have to be grateful for? So we're going to see, we're going to look on the other end and see what Arlene has to be grateful for. And as we enter this Thanksgiving week and we talk about gratitude today, would you uh, stand and welcome one another with gratitude, with a handshake, a fist bump, or a hug? Welcome to worship. So what does a newly sober couch surfer with a lousy job that had her kids taken away from her have to be grateful for. We're going to revisit Arlene's story in a moment, but it reminded me this week of, of a story in the scriptures. It's actually a story that we hear often in children's Sunday school around this time of Thanksgiving. This is uh, Luke 17 starting in verse 12. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. They were keeping their distance from him. And they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he noticed that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned except for this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, get up and go. Your faith has healed you. Leprosy is a, is a terrible disease. It was a terrible disease as well. It's mostly been eradicated in, in first world countries. And we're not totally sure that the, when we talk about leprosy in the Bible that we're talking about exactly the same disease, but, but it was some kind of skin disease, some kind of infectious, contagious disease. And it brought great shame on people. It brought separation 
to people and, and poverty to them. They were declared to be unclean. They were separated from their communities. They were separated from their families, from their, from their tribes. I would even surmise, perhaps, they even felt separated from God. They lived in communities together out in the wilderness and in caves and in tents like the Bedouin. And they were required to wear certain special clothing that would designate them as unclean. And whenever you would approach them, they were to move away from you and keep themselves at a distance. If you were on the road, they would, they would need to move to the farthest point of the road. And if you got too close at a certain distance, they would need to declare themselves unclean, unclean, so that you wouldn't approach them. Some of them even wore special bells, kind of like a cat, so you know where the cat was to declare that they were approaching. And for many, I'm sure they felt they might as well just be dead than to be separated and living the way that they lived. But these ten lepers, they, they see Jesus at a distance and they decide that they're going to go to him. And, and they cry out to Jesus But they did it at a distance, at a safe distance, afraid of what he might think and afraid of what others might think. But they're desperate and they cry out to him, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. And in that moment, it says that Jesus saw them. And I just wonder if when was the last time that they were really seen? When was the last time that someone really saw them for who they are? That looked at them? It might be like in our day, you know, we see the downtrodden or, or the homeless on the side of the road and, and we may not try to really make eye contact or if we see them, we don't really see them. We see their, their state. We don't really see them as a person. wonder what the last time, when the last time someone really looked at them. But Jesus sees them and he says, go show yourselves to the priests. That was the custom. Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they left they were cleansed. This is a really interesting point, and if you, as you read through the Gospels, I think you'll notice more and more times than not, when there's a miracle that happens, a healing with Jesus, or any kind of miracle perhaps, that Jesus, the miracle happens at the moment when they obey Jesus. There isn't any fancy laying on of hands or any fancy words that happen. The healing occurs when they turn and go to the priests. It's very much a healing through words, kind of, kind of like uh, you think to the creation of the world, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, and they turn 
And with Jesus' words and their obedience, they're healed. I think if you look, you'll find that often in the Scriptures. So ten of them are healed and ten go off, but one circles back. One of them returned and then praised God and, and threw himself at Jesus' feet and, and thanked him for his healing. He had realized in, on, his, on his path away that he had been healed and he turned around. But Jesus says, well, what about the other nine? Weren't there, weren't there ten of you guys? And only one of you come back. And then in truly Jesus' fashion, similar to the, the story of several chapters earlier, the Good Samaritan, it's not the one, it's not the person we expect it to be. It's not the law-abiding, perfectly praying, following all 600 and some odd laws of the Jewish faith. No, it's the outcasts. It's the other people. It's the foreigner the half-breeds from Samaritan, Samaria, these Samaritans who are different. They look different, they act different, they live differently. They're the one who comes back. It's these good-for-nothing people that do the good thing, the right thing. And then this passage closes with Jesus saying, get up and go, your faith has healed you. And I just couldn't, this whole entire week, get past that little bit of words. What does that mean? They, they were already healed a couple verses earlier. Why does Jesus say your faith has healed you and get up and go? Wasn't that already done? What, what is, why is this different than the other? And so I was digging into some of these words and trying to find the differences, and, and there's several different words used here for healed and cleansed that we translate that way. And this word in the Greek text seems to have a sense of wholeness, of completeness, being made whole and finished. And I, just still, I still couldn't shake it. Well, what's the difference? They were cleansed and they were healed here. What's the difference with this word? And as I sat with it during the week, I began to think and ponder that, you know, sometimes in our life, at least for me, I feel like, you know, I came to Jesus. I've given my life to Christ. I'm a Christian. I, I was healed. My sin was, was paid for. So why do I still feel the way that I feel sometimes? Why do I still feel unclean and dirty and, and not right and messed up? Why do I feel not whole, let alone holy why isn't everything gumdrops and lollipops why aren't all my relationships good and right 
Why don't I do all the things I know I should do? Am I preaching to myself today? I hope I'm not alone. But that's how I feel sometimes, and I suspect some of us others feel that way too, and I don't know why that is. I'm, I'm embracing it as part of the mystery of the faith, that in spite we've given our lives to Christ, in spite of all that we do and how we follow Jesus, that it may not always be perfect and right and good. I just I couldn't shake it. And I began to ask, well, what if? What if we're cleansed in this first encounter with Jesus? When we have this encounter with Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. I give you my life. I'm going to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. What if in that we are cleansed and healed, but then it is in our continual encounters, our continual encounters of gratitude with God where we're made whole and ultimately where we're made holy. What if we are cleansed in that first encounter with Jesus, but then in this continuum of meeting Jesus regularly we're made more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus himself through our expressions of gratitude. Much like the leper. The, the nine that went away were healed. We don't hear anything else about them, but they were healed. Their lives were changed. They're reunited with their families. Suspect they went back to work and, and life went on and was good. But what's different about this one that came back and was told to get up and go, your faith has healed you? Perhaps that's a model for us, that not, it's not only the first encounter, but it's the continuum of continual reminders and encounters of gratitude where we're made into who we're supposed to be. Those encounters where, where our wounds are, are cleansed, where, where oil and balm is placed on our wombs. And then where it is bandaged up and protected from the outside elements that can cause infection. Until it's time to change that dressing again and, and where our wounds are once again cleansed and, and oil is put on and balm is put on and, and they're wrapped up. Perhaps that's the model of the encounters we're supposed to have with Christ. Over and over and over, engaging our senses of our gratitude. So my friend Arlene, newly sober, her sponsor says, if you practice the discipline of gratitude, it will keep you sober. And Arlene says, well, what do I have to be grateful for? 
Her sponsor said, you might not have an apartment or a home, but you have a couch. You might not have the job you want, but you have a job. You might not have your children, but your children are now safe and sound. She went on to say that gratitude not only kept her sober, but gratitude saved her life. And gratitude has helped her to help save other people's lives and help keep other people sober over the years. Arlene had this practice of, of sharing a gratitude journal. And in this journal, she would write each day, either morning or evening, either in preparation for the day or in review of the day, five things she was grateful for. She'd write one thing that was bothering her, perhaps about herself or perhaps about the world. It could be, why can't I stop doing this thing I hate doing? Or what's the deal with you know, hunger in our world? Thing, one thing that's bothering you. And then two things that you can do to make today or tomorrow better than they are. Five things you're grateful for, one thing that's bothering you, two things to make the next day great. And it was in this practice that Arlene stayed sober. It was in this practice that uh, she got a different place to live, a better job, and her kids back. And it's in this practice of gratitude where she was able to share this story, to share her experience with others so that their lives were changed. They stayed sober and they were kept alive. So I wonder what would happen what would happen in our lives if we practiced the discipline of gratitude? Perhaps it's something you may want to ponder about adding in. You can have a, a simple uh, composition book from Walmart. You could write in those three questions, or, or maybe you want to do it on your iPad or on your phone or whatever works for you. And Maybe you don't have any practices right now where you can reflect and encounter God on a daily basis. Or maybe you want to add this in, into your time of prayer or scripture reading. But I wonder what would happen with our relationship with God if we regularly came back and encountered him with gratitude. I wonder what would happen to our relationship with others as we regularly practice this discipline of expressing our gratitude, just recognizing our gratitude. And I wonder how it might change the way that we look at ourselves if we were regularly focused on gratitude. I dare say that it would change the way that we love God, the way we love ourselves, and the way that we love our neighbor. It would change the way of life for our families and for our community and for ourselves. So that's the 
challenge for all of us, me included, is how can we practice this idea, this discipline of gratitude? How can we use gratitude to encounter God on a regular basis so that God will cleanse our wounds and, and place balm and oil upon them and wrap them up and protect us from those things that can cause infection so God can, can heal us as the great physician. But heal us in that deeper way of being made whole and holy. Amen.